because you're jumping back into the gut. Hey coach, welcome to the basketball podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at B-Ball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. I'm excited to welcome Towson head coach Pat Scary to the Basketball Podcast. Scary took over a program that had endured 15 straight losing seasons. After winning just one game during his first season, Scary led the Tigers to an 18-13 record in 2012-13. Not only was it the first winning season since 1995-96, it was also the largest single season turnaround in NCAA Division I history. Townsend enters the 2022-23 season having won at least 18 games in seven seasons in the last 10 years. Scary led Townsend to the program's first ever CAA regular season title and berth into the National Invitational Tournament during the 2021-22 season. Coach Scary, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. As you know, I was fired up to do it. Oh, yeah, it was great. We had great conversations leading up to it. And uh, yeah, I mean, tremendous success when I dug deep into what you've done there and the consistency that you've done it and at a place that's never really done it before. And uh, maybe that's my first curious question. Uh, what are the advantages of taking over a program that hasn't had much success prior to someone getting there? Well, you know, I think the first thing, and, and you know this, uh, when a program hasn't been successful, it's a lot more than just the the coaches and 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 the, and the X's and O's. Um, I think there's a lot that that goes into that. I think the coaches become, you know, a, a, an easy target, so to speak. Um, I, I always tell people uh, we were we lost 31 games my first year, and it's uh, I can say with a lot of confidence that's probably the worst team in the history of college basketball. <laughs> um, but they. Um, if it weren't for the AD that hired me, Mike Waddell, and some of the, you know, th things he he corrected as far as, uh, you know, nutrition, strength and conditioning, academic support, um, you know, getting a new facility. And then a guy by the name of Jarrell Benneman, who's the best player we've had. Um, I, 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 I'm not sure I'd be fortunate enough to, to be in this position now. You know, a disadvantage of it, Chris, is, uh, well, the advantage of it is obviously you know, it's a chance to build, to build something. I've always said in sports, the hardest thing to change is tradition and geography. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I, I can say this proudly now uh, over the last, if you throw out the pandemic over the last nine years, we, we've won 59% of our league games, which is tied with Hofstra for the highest in our conference. And the decade before that, we had only won 26% of our league games. So we, we, we take a lot of, pride in that um and when you go in to build something there's a chance to you know change it I, I always thought when I got this opportunity and I only got it because I was at Pittsburgh with Jamie Dixon that's the only reason why I got it was uh we had great geography we just hadn't we just hadn't had tradition we're still trying to build tradition we're, we're certainly not done yet the disadvantage Chris is that my record from that first year <laughs> It, it's a uh, it's a steep when you start out 30 games below 500 it, it it's a uh, it's a steep climb that it's a that's a tough one to sometimes unravel 
Yeah. And it's all perspective and it's all relative and uh, definitely talking to coaches in your situation. I mean, that's always a big challenge. And my experience is, is exactly what you just said, which is having somebody that's okay with not doing it the same way they've done it in the past and knowing that those changes need to happen. And you reference that that's, that's gotta be one of the most important things that you just felt supported in the sense that, Hey, we can do this. And uh, I'm imagining again at your level, a lot of it isn't about money. It's about, oh, we can just do this different and we can do it better. And here's how we've done it before. And that reference from Pitt must have helped you a lot. Well, he, Jamie Dix is such a creature of habit. You know, we've tried to build habits here by, uh, by really dominating our student athletes day with a routine. Um, and my, in my one year with Jamie, I was just blown away at how strong him and his program's habits are one and, to how self-critical he is uh, and he sets the tone uh, for, for everyone else uh, as far as like, Hey, you know, like we didn't get that done because, you know, you didn't do a good enough job. I didn't do a good enough job before we placed the blame on, 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 on the players. So I'd like to think, I'd like to think we try to do that. You know, what, what's been uh, exciting here, but at times challenging is I've had count in terms, four ADs and five presidents. Wow. And we, we've got really good leadership right now. And they've all been good. Um, we've got really good leadership right now. Um, but now we're coming into a season where we just came off the best year in school history and we've got a lot of really good players returning. So what I'm excited now is are we ready to try to get a little bit more into the water and, and see where we can take this? So it's interesting because you just referenced that from an administrative standpoint. We don't think about that somewhat, but a lot of these mid to low major schools, I mean, it's not just the coach. If the coach is successful, that's great. The coach moves on sometimes, but also the ADs move on or different administrators move on. And everyone's kind of, to a certain extent, using these type of positions to get to other positions, aren't they? Yeah, it can happen or, or just change, right? That's the one constant yeah. in life is is change. Um, you know, they like said, unfortunately, now we have a young AD, Steve Eigenbrot, who I think is going to be really good for us. He's incredibly intelligent, energized, and we have an engaged, really smart, hardworking president and Kim Schatzel. So, you know, they're, I think, connected, and that's going to be key for us in order to move this forward. Because, you know, I've watched enough of your podcast. This is our, this is our only potential revenue producing sport. You know, basketball can be a great you know, front porch for the rest of the house, which is a university. And that's not a basketball coach's sales job. That's, that's been proven time and time again. And we've been close on some things. And what gets me up every day is like, Hey, can we kind of, can we kind of kick the door in and bring some recognition to our university, which is really a great place. Well, you've done a good job doing that. And I know you'll keep doing that. And that's a big part of this. And uh, one thing we talked about prior to this was your flow offense. And uh, maybe before I, dive deep with some great questions, hopefully. Uh, can you just explain what is the flow offense in your system? So we call our, our flow game is what we do on a, on a missed shot. Um, and uh, I'll go back a little bit. Obviously, we had a good year last year. The, the pandemic here was the, the train was off the tracks. And then the year before that, we had a good year. We had won 19 games. It came third in our league. And we went into that year uh, saying we had to make some drastic changes offensively. Um, and the, the reason being, we just, uh, we've always been a pretty good rebounding team, uh, pretty good at getting to the foul line, but at times, you know, we might look like, uh, you're getting a, a, a root canal without a Novocaine on, on offense. So we just, we try to recruit a little bit differently with a little better level of skill and, and 
play with some better um, spacing and pace, all those, all those buzzwords. Um, and, and it helped us, you know, what, what forced me to look into that. We had had a, the year before I lost two really good sophomore league players uh, before the portal at the very end of April. And we had a team that year that went six and 12 in the league and led the league in field goal defense and rebound margin. Hmm. So they were clearly playing hard. Um, but we clearly as a staff and myself didn't do a good enough job on the other end of the floor. We kept losing. We lost like seven or eight league games by under five points. And we just had to make changes. So the flow game, we took a lot of stuff from, um, you know, right. No one originates anything. You steal from everyone from uh, I'd watch a lot of tape on Davidson with Bob McKillop um, and, and, and Rick Barnes at Tennessee. And then there was a guy in our league, Matt Matheny, who I thought did a very good job at Elon which was a challenging job at that time. And he was very good on offense. So we'd spent a lot of time with him on the phone and then we just kind of morphed into it. And then we even tweaked it more last, last year. So what I bring up is everyone thinks Towson rebound and defense the year before the pandemic, we were uh, second in our conference in offensive efficiency. And last year we were first in our conference in offensive efficiency. And hopefully if you watch us play now, you'd say, yeah, they play hard but their ball movement really defines them. So is is that in part because of the synergy now between your flow game and then the rest of your offensive system that they just go together better? Or what was the reasoning? Did, is because the players have more freedom in the flow game? What is some of the reasoning for increasing the efficiency? Well, you know, one talent, right? That's always the baseline always. In, in, in anything, in anything we do. Um, so good, good players. Um, and then I think really is – Simple as it sounds, the intent of our guys. Um, you know, I don't think I've ever had a year as any other coach came in and said, hey, guys, let's make sure we don't move the ball today. You know, like <laughs> these guys are just really willing to do it. Now, um, we had stolen some stuff from uh, Nate Oates in, in the offseason. One of my former assistants, Brandon McDonald, had brought a bunch of Nate Oates drills. He's just found them on YouTube. And we really started getting into those in the summer, hoping that we're you know, really pounding that concept of absolutes and spacing and, and sharing the ball. And, and it just, it just, it just carried over from there. Um, I, I think for us, there was a couple of things that stuck out like in the flow game over the last couple of full seasons we've had is, is one, uh, I'll give you a negative. The pace of play doesn't seem very fast, but that's only because we don't come down and drag ball screen right away, which right. just about everyone in the country does. And, and one of our, rationale behind that was if I think for the most if you tell a guard he, he can drag he's probably going to drag about 95 <laughs> percent of the time so we wanted to get a little bit we wanted to get the ball reversed before mm -hmm. we get into any ball screen action or, or we call it ricochet you know with, with some dribble when you hit the big guy and, you, and then you come in and get it um, and then the other thing that's really jumped out uh, to me is that the last two full seasons we've had I think we were in the top 12 in the country in fewest live ball turnovers. Mm. So that's something we've really hopped. on. know we still, we still charge too much and go over the back too much uh, for, for our, our liking, but by, by really cutting down on our live ball turnovers, it, it just keeps you out of such harm's way. That's the one thing I know is that sounds simple. We've probably tried to evolve as a staff, like just can't have live ball turnovers. It just affects so many other parts of the game. So uh, frame it for us. How's the flow game on misses different than what you do on makes? 
So yeah, on a missed shot, we're in flow game. Now we could run flow game on a, on a make, uh, free throw, dead ball, timeout. Normally we will run a special after made basket, free throw, dead ball, timeout. And the reason behind that has been one, just to take advantage of scouting. If we thought Chris had an advantage, how do we get him the ball in, in, in certain areas? And then I've always felt like uh, when you run some quick hitters, uh, that's usually equates a good offensive rebounding because guys have a pretty good idea of who's going to shoot and when they're going to shoot and try, try to try to go get it. Um, but the flow game was you're on a missed shot. Like, Hey, how do we get the ball down the floor? And then when it, if we don't get something initially, then how do we, how do we keep playing versus having to bring it out and then call the next thing. And, and so that's where the, you know, we get flow. Like how do, how do we stay? How do we stay with it? Um, the good thing now is having a lot of guys back is they, they really understand. So this has been a different kind of summer where we're like, we're playing a lot mm. uh, in work workouts and trying to get a feel of evaluate who's good in ball screens, who's good in dribble handoffs, who understands spacing, you know, like uh, what's, I know I'm jumping around, but what we will, we'll use the word a lot. Um, when we come out of the summer, we'll meet for a couple of days on uh, I'll, I'll tell the guys, give me a pre-mortem. So what, what can, what can sink us? You know what I mean? Like we should have an, uh, don't give me the post-mortem because at that point we're already sunk. You know what I mean? Like what, what, what are our red alert areas and how do we figure this out now that we've had these guys here for, you know, eight, 10 weeks. Hey coach, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a product I love and have used with my teams and now with my daughters in our backyard, Dr. Dish. Use promo code immersion for exclusive savings on any of the machines. Dr. Dish Basketball is accelerating player performance with the most innovative game-like training solution available, allowing coaches and players to get better faster than ever before. By providing the most usable and advanced shooting machines, on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics, Dr. Dish Basketball has become the preferred source for basketball training with progressive coaches and players. A reminder, use promo code IMMERSION for exclusive savings on any of the machines. We'll get into the structure a little bit of it, but uh, I'm imagining now because your players have played in it and they're using it this summer. I'm assuming they're running it through the summer, as you're saying, when they're playing that are they getting better with their, you, you know, unscripted decisions where it becomes less predictable. They become more comfortable at reading what the other person does in front of them, because really it is conceptual with a structure is the easiest way to explain it. So, yeah, like, our, you know, we have four guys that played a ton and three mm -hmm. were all league. I think we had a good freshman guard named Rodia Hicks. He's taken a big jump. So we're seeing that with him after having done it for a year. I think with some of our talented new guys, um, it's, it, it was, yeah, they're getting better, but they just haven't, haven't had as many reps. So the tricky thing I think for us is like, in some, we're trying to play because we get so many guys back that they don't want to slow down. They want to keep going. So you're trying to incorporate some new guys that you're going to need in order to win. So that, that's really like the, the, the balance of, uh, are we doing a good job with that? I'm, I'm not sure. Time will, <laughs> time will tell, you know? Well, let's, I mean, I, I support what you're doing and I think the research and everything that I share obviously through this podcast supports what you're doing, but it is the hard thing for a coach. And that's what I tell coaches all the time, because it's much harder to evaluate somewhat than just clean drills, right? Where, Oh, it looks like we're doing it well, but the reality is that now you're connecting things. Uh -huh much more directly to the game, but it's going to look messier in practice at time because you're playing the game and they're learning the game more. 
Absolutely. I, I would tell coaches, listen, I've tried to um, last summer, even this summer, a couple guys that I trust friends, send them some tape and let them look at it. What, like one thing, you know, uh, same thing with you. I, I like getting feedback on, Hey, I like this guy. Or, Have you mm-hmm. thought about this? So, you know, because I think sometimes you miss it. And then, and let's be honest, sometimes in staff meetings, not everyone's type A where they're going to, um, I like type A. I like a staff meeting that can be mayhem. And then we, we get it solved and, you know, but sometimes other guys are more one-on-one meeting guys, or, you know, but I think a lot of it, like right now, every summer is different because your team is different, but, but you do got to come out of the summer. Like, I think with a, like a decent feel on all right, this is, this is what we can do. We think it's going to work. You know um, I think back to, I told you that bad year I had mm-hmm. with, with the transfers, we did a lot of stuff in the summer and then the season hit. And after about, we came back from a disastrous trip down the Bahamas and I was like, Oh my God, like we, we totally missed the mark in, in the off season. So like now it became like, Hey, let's tap the brakes. Let's walk the ball up. Let's just hang in there and see if we can steal games, which we didn't. But like, I, I feel like now, like you, you've, there's got to be a better game plan in the summer. It's great stuff. Uh, getting a little more detail to it. Uh, do you designate spots or are they running to spacing spots? So we, we do designate spots. Whoever has the, the ball, you know, is, is, is the pusher. His job is to really try to attack the elbows. Um, and, and that's, that's been a focus this summer. We've got to do a better job at your, your wings. You're trying to get in the run like a receiver in football. And we mm-hmm. tape off a box in the corners, right? Trying to get them to adhere to spacing. And then we do label a four and a five, although we're a unique team because Cam Holden, you know, is a, arguably our best player, first team all league guy. He is the four, but he'll like lead us in ball screen usage. Mm. So we do have uh, either four or five first guy down rim runs. And then the other guy is the trailer. Um, I will say the one thing, if you watch us, and this is a, a Bob McKillop concept is if the trailer is ahead of the ball, we'll play off of that kind of illegal. We call it butt screen where we, Hmm. try to get it try to get into the elbow and then what we're trying to do is reverse the ball and play off a staggered screen right so there's obviously all different types of cuts off that before we get into either a ball screen or or a dribble handoff once it gets to that point it's more of hey we just got spacing spots and and we've got and i have a ton of trust in this group and 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 letting them play uh, and mostly to a four out situation in terms of spacing is the goal. And then from that four out, obviously a big emphasis, you already alluded to it. You're trying to get a ball movement. So you're trying to go trail reversal mostly. And uh, from there, that stagger action that you like to run. I mean, talk to us about the advantage of running that stagger action. And again, there's not a structure. There is a structure, but then from there, there's multiple reads and multiple possibilities. But I'm hoping we can score more off the stagger this year. I think we've got to do a better job of that, especially because we've got the kid Timberlake, who's the first team all league guy. I think he's a, a pro prospect and he can really read screens and shoot it. Um, so two teaching points. One is that reversal. How quick can that guy get the ball reversed? And then we're trying to get that screen more consistently below the elbow. I, I don't think we've done a good enough job with that. Uh, obviously the guy receiving the screen has got to wait, but, We've got to get that those screens lower um, so that we get more scoring off that. Um, but yeah, totally after that four out, um, one in, you know, uh, we've got a couple of fives that might be able to play together. We're trying to figure out 
how that's going to uh, affect spacing. Um, not, not sure, not sure of that answer um, yet, but I, but I think the thing that our guys do understand is there's some absolutes in spacing, like the corners need to be filled. And what, once it, once it dies down, what we started doing, and I'll give Nate Oates, I don't really know coach Oates, but credit last year, um, we started really tracking, you know, the big analytics thing. We do like analytics um, of, you know, okay, what percent of our shots were in the red zone. So we tape like a step outside the, the uh, lane line and then right through the logo, a box. We call that the red zone, right? On offense, we want the ball in the red zone. On defense, we don't want the ball in the red zone. But we'll put a post for our guys every day of practice, percent of shots in the red zone, percent of shots that were threes, percent of shots that were twos. And then what did we shoot from each of those, those spots? And obviously, we, we've, so we made a more concerted effort last year of staying off of, you know, tough twos. Now, I think there's always outliers to that. Like I had a team a couple of years ago with two good players, Fobbs and Beatran. They were big mid-range guys. Um, so that was just their strength. But like with, with, with this group, we're, we're, once again, like we want red zone, which obviously usually leads to fouls. And then we want, then we want threes. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess from there, I'll jump ahead to a question I had because you mentioned this red zone concept. And I'm in a conceptual flow offense like this. How do you ensure your best players get more shots than less effective players? Because that is one of the challenges of a flow type offense is that your best players may not get as involved as you may want from a set perspective. Thousand thousand percent, right? Uh, and that's something we've got to deal with right now. We've you know we're not there yet. We've got some couple of new guys who are aggressive on offense that they might have to tame some of that aggressiveness for the good of the group long-term. Um, but but a, better a couple, to be aggressive right now, in your opinion, right? You'd rather yeah, have them more I, aggressive right now? I think so. We're still trying to evaluate what we got and who they were. I, I think it's like, anything. we don't want some, like I've been big on a couple of guys, you know, don't ball fake and then take a three. That's like a hard shot. Don't take guarded shots, you know, um, you know, some, some things that are pretty simple, but, they can, <laughs> they happen a lot, you know? Um, so for us, I think it's more of right now, we're pretty fortunate that we do share it. So I'm, I'm comfortable in flow game, but I, I think we also have in our pocket, we have a couple different families of plays. So if, if Cam Holden hasn't seen the ball or Charles Thompson hasn't seen the ball, yeah, I'm going to tap the brakes and, and run that, you know, um, because we know that those guys do need to see the ball because they make good decisions with it. Mm-hmm. And then from this stagger action, people can picture a little bit trail reversal. Obviously, you can play through the post. Uh, and I'm imagining, and this is the way I phrase it, but, uh, you know, basketball decisions per, um, overcome basketball plays. So in the sense that, you know, your basketball decision is going to take precedence. So if a player can make a decision that's going to be to your advantage, it's, you don't have to run the play. They're going to break it off. And you see that in the flow game that you shared with me, that there's those, those opportunities. And is that something that comes a little bit later after they get comfortable with the structure? Or is that something you emphasize from day one? No, I think it's just because comfortable. The more they do it, you know, we will spend a lot of time with, um, you know, five on O stuff, some guard forward skill work, um, really trying to make them quick decisions. You know, I got a young assistant who I had coached at Rhode Island, Parfait Bate, who has done an exceptional job 
with our guys, uh, with skill work and, and offensive development. And so we just try to, we just try to stay, stay with that. It's, uh, it's funny coming back this year, obviously there's, there's, uh, there's expectations every year, mm-hmm. but there's probably heightened expectations because, you know, Thompson, Timberlake, Holden and Jason Gibson all played over 30 minutes for us and all came back. Um, so it just to me says a lot about the type of kids they are and that transfers over to how they, they play. So as we put this together, like I haven't done a lot of um, older guys versus newer guys. We did it the second week of practice on a Thursday. And um, we did a couple, we did this one like five minute breakdown drill and the new guys won. And there's a little bit of like, and, and then we went live and it was 23 to nothing quick with the returners. And I've got a very talented freshman named Ryan Conway from Seton Hall. And he asked me, he goes, man, I didn't think we were going to get beat like that. I said, we did. We did win 25 games and three of these guys are all league guys. So uh, I would hope that they would, they would stick it. So, but what, what was nice to watch the summer was like, Oh man, these guys are like moving it, you know? Um, so yeah, total, uh, you know, like I said, the, the more those guys are out there, I, I, there's trust. I think we're trying to get to the point with some other guys that they have that same level of trust or, that's where like, you got to do a good job as a coach, right? Did we freedom versus, Whoa, the, the decision-making, you know? Um, I think a lot, for a lot of coaches out there and, and players, like sometimes players think like, oh, I haven't got an opportunity in the game. And it's always like, no, no, you got your opportunity every day in practice. Mm-hmm. That's where you either, that's where you either build trust or, or really distrust. Makes sense. And, uh, in the BDT offense, Alex Ram and I call it triggers. And, and and I'm curious what your trigger are is to flow into that high post flash game, because that's the, that seems to be, okay, trail reversal, obviously exploring possibilities. And if not, there's something that triggers that post to come up and get in the flash game, right? Yeah. I mean, the kid Thompson has done an unbelievable job with us. He really probably is the key. Um, so like if so when if he rim runs and we can't get it to him and once we come off that stagger he's got to sprint up the lane and really when we sprint up the lane it, it's not a great ball screen opportunity because it, it, it that takes a couple seconds to get there so usually that's like hey hit him and and then play off that if he trails it's usually a quicker trigger right into a quick quick on ball and 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 then going from there but well, we get into four over one, four round one, and the guys are standing at the end of it. Once we come off the stagger, the five is the five is the guy that's lifting a ball screen, and and then we've got to get those other four spots pretty much filled, especially the corners. That that would be my biggest gripe when we look a little funky with spacing. It's usually because guys aren't aren't holding the corners. You know what I mean? They've just been yeah. unwilling. They're creeping in. They want the ball. You know, and it just. It's like anything, right? The better your spacing is, the harder it is on the, on the defense. Yeah, and in my experience, holding the corners is one of those hard things. I mean, it just, you know, I, again, it's unintentional that coaches throughout their whole life have told them the constant, oh, you got to be moving, you got to be moving, and that's not good offense if you're just holding a spot. But we know in the modern game, that is such an important part of modern offense. And, and I'll tell you, we're trying to do better. Like, I didn't think we were good enough at it last year. Like, um, you know, usually like a concept, when the ball's coming away from you, you've got to fill so that, that the guy has an outlet to throw it to. We're trying to do a better job when the ball's coming to you of not just spacing, but can we 45 cut? Can we baseline cut? Can we flare? You know, just trying to do something to 
occupy the, the defense. So that's been a point of emphasis that I'm hopeful we can carry over. I think we hopped on it a lot last year, but then and actually watching our clips, I think we had, we, we had a lot of slippage where we didn't, you know, we didn't carry that over. And uh, with then the flash game, uh, do you, and maybe in transition in general, like sometimes there's a, a screen to the two side, sometimes there's a screen to the three side. Is that determined by anything specific or is it just a player's decision and they read advantage or they see best matchups? Player's decision, although we'll eventually try to um, talk to them about like, hey, same side curls and, and a change your cuts, you know, scoring cuts, scoring screens, because the tendency is to you know, do that. And then I'll say, like, I'll give some credit. I thought Northeastern um, and Delaware did the most switching against us, had good size guys. And I thought when we were good, we, we did a better job of like, when you talk about that three side, just cutting and getting through, not cutting and shaking out the same way. Like, um, so that's something like, as we've broken stuff down, like, and we think we can take this up a level. It's like, Hey, We've been working on some stuff this summer. Like, yeah, look at when you're coming on that, we call it Chicago action where there's like a guy in the corner and you were down screen and, and, and then second guys come with the dribble handoff is down screen and then get, get out, get through, get through, you know, um, more so because of the couple of those teams that did a lot of switching against us. And maybe we didn't handle that as well as we, we should have. We've come up with more like more cutting versus switching, more cutting versus switching. Well, and, and I want to come back to that because you, you brought that up there. And that's something that I see on the stagger, too, is like like it, there's a lot of force curls of that first screen, which I think is such a powerful thing to curl that first screen. And then it seems like in a lot of the situations in the stagger, your player who knows they're the matchup or the cutter is the one that finds their way off the stagger which tells me that you coach those situations so that they know again, hey, you're going to, of course, you're going to force curl this one because we want to bring so-and-so off the screen, right? And that's part of the teaching process that you go through. I'd say by just doing a lot of five on O and using it, mm -hmm. and then obviously the intent of the guys, uh, that those are the two big things. We will, I'll get into more of like when we have that um, Chicago action, like we had one the other day, a freshman Christian May, six five six six kid, and Jason Gibson in Chicago was setting the down screen, and Thompson's coming on the dribble handoff, and and Christian May came all the way off it. I said a better thing for us is either you back cutting that or curling that. So now we have an elite ball screen guy in Gibson or Holden coming off the the ball screen, right? That's everyone wants to do that stuff, so there is some freedom. But eventually, it's going to be more with guys like like we had Goodyear last year, Rizzuto, Juwan Gray. Those guys were pretty unselfish in that they didn't put themselves in a lot of ball screen situations, right? They were really good cutters, and then they held the corners where they were capable of getting a lot of shots and, and, and making a lot of shots. So we're still building towards that. Well, and you referenced not coming down and just going into drag ball screen, which, again, has a pre predictability to it, which you mentioned in the college game. So instead of that, where ball screens tend to happen is after flow. So it's almost like, again, if this, this was a set play, there would be all these false motions before the ball screen. And uh, I'm wondering, do you, you talked about analytics. Do you have some you know, analytics that support the fact that your ball screens are more effective after a certain number of movements of the ball prior to the ball screen? You know, you just got me thinking – no, I don't. And that's something I need to investigate because that's a, that's a great point. I would like to think when you, get to yeah. the, when you get to the second, third side, that it is better. That, I, I think that, that the, like I said, the biggest reason for it was just 
to get some movement um, uh, initially. And, you know, we did a lot of studying and like I said, with the Davidson, Tennessee stuff and, and, you know, Elon, when we played against Mabathini, uh, we spent a lot of time dealing with and our defensive breakdown stuff, dealing with that butt screen and that stagger stuff. And that got me thinking like, shoot, why aren't we doing, you know, we, we gotta, we gotta do something different. And one thing I thought Matt Matheny always said to me was he said, what's really good about uh, this offense is it's like you can have a really bad point guard, which we don't, but he said that you can have a really bad point guard. He says, it's like those yellow books point guard for dummies. You can, if you just tell that guy, you got to get to the elbow, mm-hmm. then you're going to be able to get it going. Cause that was my first thing. Like, Hey, what if the guy can't get in there? And he's like, get, get in there. Just tell him that's to keep it simple. Get, get to the elbow. And, and in watching it and just generally an experience and watching the game, I mean, that trail reversal is the easiest bailout generally anyways to get that ball moving. And, and your players have seem to have very few times where that's taken away or denied. But the one counter I did see, and I want you to talk about some of the counters, was it could flow into a bit of a, like not a ball screen, but almost like they just crossed each other to just confuse the defense a little bit before they moved it, intentionally or not. But what talk a little bit about some of the counters to be able to get the ball moving side to side. Yeah, hopefully we've gotten better at that too. That's that yeah. illegal dra- illegal drag screen. Yep. Um, Gibson did that in high school. His high school team ran it. They played for a really good coach at Sidwell Friends and Singletary. So he, he had good familiarity. The other thing we'll do is we'll call it um, Chicago action where it's the same thing. If the five is the trail and we reverse it to the five, if he can't reverse it, now we're bringing it right back into, into that Chicago action with down screen dribble handoff. Or if the five it rim runs a lot, we'll throw point to four man. Four man will bring it on a dribble handoff. We call that a flip. And he's kind of rolling to the rim initially. And that's where five will lift. We'll hit five and then get into that. A lot of that NBA stuff, you know what I mean, with, with, with five out. Uh, the other thing we'll do, we'll see a little bit more of it this year, I think, because the trust is, especially with Holden when he's the four, because he's such a good rebounder. When he pushes a lot, we call it side where, He's, he's a little bit off the side and we're filling corners opposite slot. And now the big guy's just coming either ball screening or we're playing off of that, that, that ricochet. And we get into late in the year, some pistol action off of that, which was good for him. So that's, that's something um, we're actually going to install that today. We're halfway through the summer. We're going to install our, our pistol action today. So those are really the, the counters. My, my hope is honestly that if we had a hundred possessions that we could just play with that stuff, the whole game, uh, Based on how we progress, I think we'll we'll de- determine that, you know. Well, and that's going to be to a certain extent how your players get used to playing unscripted out of it, right? And it probably starts a little bit too structured and then gets a little bit messy, and then somewhere in the middle is the magic, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely is. And, and I think it's like any, the more we can play with um, less scripted action means, one, the more trust you have in you guys, and probably it contributes to – better ball movement and you know look at I've, I've been a we do have some sets we ran less sets than we ever did a year ago um but I do think sometimes with sets it does help you rebounding but I think there's also the uh it's the right word in guy's mind oh this is my this is my play mm, right and sometimes that can lead to you know just a different mentality on on shot selection 
Yeah, no, it's big time. I always talk to players about saying that, yeah, I mean, the goal is for you to score. And if not, the goal is for you to draw help, right? And you draw two, you move it and you're the playmaker. And both those are good words in most players' minds, right? You're a scorer or a playmaker. That seems to be pretty good. Absolutely, because they're handling the ball. And, you know, it's just, it's like coaches, we all use a lot of cliches. I've been fortunate to coach for 30 years. And and honestly, uh, last year's team was just the most enjoyable group of guys I've ever been around. And all indications are, we've been here for six, seven weeks that like, this is going to, these guys are like that too. So it's, it's made it like, I've had some good teams where good players and some of them are going to listen to this. And I love those guys, but I had to pull them through the mud a lot of days during the week. And we just haven't had that. Um, And it's just, um, I'm hoping some of the offensive changes have coupled with their, their, their character and intent to have, have helped that because it's, it's just made it, more enjoyable. Like it's, it's been nice to have some older guys come back and them tell me I've gotten soft uh, coaching these guys and me tell them, no, these guys just follow directions better. So there's no reason to be on them. <laughs> I love that you said that. Cause I can't, I can't stand that even represent. Oh, you got soft. No, you know what? I don't need to coach you guys that way. Cause you're taking care of what you should take care of. You should not have to coach motivation every day. That's not a coach. Yeah. Attitude and effort, right. As yeah. long as those things are there. I always say the rest of it's on us is yeah. did the guy we bring in, is he talented enough and, or have we got the guy better? Um, if not, that's, that's on us. Mm-hmm. You know, the other stuff, the, you know, being ready to go and attitude and effort that's, that's on the, that's on the player. Hey coach. I just want to let you know, basketball immersion is proud to partner with just play. I had the chance to spend some time with just play in new Orleans at the final four. And I was blown away by the next level simplicity and effectiveness of this all in one solution for coaches to prepare faster and connect with today's players. Just play provides an elite experience for coaches to better teach scout and recruit on one platform. Just play integrates with any video editing solution to streamline how you prepare and engage your players. Sign up for a free demo. www dot just play solutions dot com forward slash bball immersion i want you to talk a little bit about the pace of play that you mentioned before because uh, you reference obviously building your program somewhat on defense and some of these things that you can control more and now that you're trying to make this next big leap of consistency to the ncaa tournament consistently over and over again a little bit of the emphasis is on offense so talk to me about how pace of play and particularly flow game helps that yeah, one like talked about ball security, right? Mm-hmm. And then hopefully getting the right kind of shots, red zone or or threes. Those are the two big things that jump out. You know, I'm not, you know, we talk a lot in the offseason, hey, we got to get the ball off the net quicker. Uh, I think maybe we will, but I mean, I look at some elite teams like Villanova and that, that, that pace of play, but, you know, it's, I always feel like I tell stuff, look at if, if, I mean, Charleston does an unbelievable job in our league on the Pat Kelsey getting the ball out the net. Um, but I, like, I also tell our guys, we play Northeast and they ain't letting the ball, they ain't letting the game go like this. So I don't know if like we're going to spend a ton of time on that. And I don't think our pace of play is bad. On a missed shot, we're out. Um, well, and let, me, more, let me come back, Coach. And let me just yeah, phrase this because yeah. I, I think most of pace of play, if you're talking about flow game and things like that, has more to do with shot selection than speed. Like if you're take if you're making the right decisions, and I think more often than not, the clips you shared with me in the first eight to ten seconds, your players were making really good decisions. That to me leads to pace of play more than how quickly you get the ball out of bounds. Yeah, it does. And then 
you know, the, the, the stag is going to slow down your pace a little bit. And, and I, like I said, I think the other thing is um, I, I had a, you know, talk about live ball turnovers. The, the other thing that we're really have to get better at that we're hopping on. I had a really talented assistant a, a few years ago, Luke Murray, who showed me stats in the NBA after live ball turnovers. If you don't finish in the red zone, how much that affects your, your, your transition. Either. So if you're bad on offense at the red zone, you know, so we, we've really developed uh, this spring and summer, we call protection plans. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Rondo, Nash's, Barclays, Pro Hops of just doing even more of those uh, because of the numbers he gave me. And I'm like, you know, as, as I'm saying, okay, we, we were good in something, but how do we get better? Like uh, some of our better players, if you look at like Holden, Gibson in particular, not to single them out, like we've met with them in the offseason, showed them shot shots, or like, hey, your red zone shooting because has to go up you know, for us to get where we need to get to. Well, I'm glad you referenced protection plans. I mean, Doug Novak, someone I learned them from uh, and uh, talks about them extensively. And part of all conceptual offense has to be what happens when it doesn't go right. And how do we keep flowing? And that's what protection plans do more than anything. And they're such an important part of the flow game, aren't they? Yeah. It's like in play last week, a guy just drove it, left his feet. I'm like, where, where, where is that? Like, well, I'll use a phrase a lot with our guys, follow your training, mm. follow your, follow your training, right. You know, like whether that's protection plans or, or spacing, you know, we're just, we're looking for, for good shots, right. The, the, and sometimes the definition of mental toughness is just taking the, the, the right shot for the team. Even if you've, even if you've missed it, that's a good shot. We believe in you, you know, don't do something. Don't, don't revert now and just put your head down and go right. And, you know I mean? Cause that, that's never gonna, that's never going to work out great. Well, and especially helping the red zone stuff too. The protection plans help you not settle, right? And that's what you want. You don't want your players to settle. Hey, listen, you don't have to settle because you have a way out of this situation where you don't have to just throw a bad shot at the rim or throw a bad pass. I would tell you, like, I think in a perfect, not perfect, but a logical shot sheet, shooting sheet would be like 60% of the shots in the red zone, 30% of them from three. And then you're going to get probably 10% that are mid-range that you, that you don't love. That's that's probably as we look at it, like, you know, and then can you make, you know, 55% plus in, 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 the, in the red zone? And then can you make, you know, 33 or above from three? I think you, you normally we've found with our guys, like, if we, we don't shoot great from tough twos, you know, because that's kind of what they're, what they're forcing you into. I'm not sure if this is part of the philosophy, but I'll ask you um, the other advantage of this flow game that you seem to run is that there's multiple actions that a defense has to account for. And it's not just this one, you know, as you said, drag into a ball screen and know how to cover that. I mean, they have to account for multiple actions, staggers, flash games. Are they screening the two sides, screening the three side? There's all these different variables that come in that make it hard to guard. Yeah. So we'll try to spend a lot, especially now, we're doing some stuff now where we're working against icing or switching and going under, but as we get really going and we have more time and access to our guys, you know, we're getting ready to play, you know, uh, Northeast and we know they're going to switch stuff. Then we're, we're, we're trying to spend a lot more time on our, our combo work or our guard forward skill on, okay, this is how they're going to play these things. Remember like reinforcing those habits of this, this is the read. This is going to be your look. And hopefully just trying to do one or, one or two things, you know, effectively against that. 
And uh, l- let's go a little deeper with that. Let's talk about maybe stagger screens, like, and give us an example of how are you developing the decision making, the reads out of staggers, for example? Is it three and three, four and four? Is it a five on five? I know you referenced five on oh already. So, what's the next progression after five on oh? Yeah. So, we will do some um, four on four stuff, you know, play through the coaches, the reversal, playing off off the stagger. Um, that's really the, the big one uh, for the stagger buildup. And then five, five versus five uh, and, and some five on O with coaches. We'll do a lot more quick decision drills, like four versus three, five versus four, or we do a one, we call it from NATO. It's a blood drill where yeah. right at half court, the guy's ready to attack downhill. We get guys in the corner, rim runner, the defense has got to go touch a cone. And that's what we got an advantage that way. Or we'll do a lot like, uh, like wing slot to corner attacking or, baseline to wing attacking, you know, um, with the defender starting behind the offensive guys. So working on some of those quick decision stuff, we have like a staple of three or four different advantage, disadvantage drills that we'll, we'll use at least two of them every day in the summer. And then you referenced you're manipulating the constraints for the defense a little bit, where sometimes they're guarding this way. Sometimes they're guarding this way. That's a part of it. Yeah. I think more of like, where, where is the defense at? Like we're pretty vanilla on Mm -hmm. defense. Um, but, you know, we, uh, we, we've tried to put in a couple coverages of ball screen. Like, if you just switch every ball screen in the summer, you're not going to have a lot of reads, right? Drive the switch, post the switch. So we've, we're yeah, a hard hit. your offensive decision-making. They think you can't develop it if you're just switching all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we do it. We're a hard hedge team. We, we do put that in the summer. We're nowhere near where we need to be yet. Um, and then we're thinking about maybe putting one other coverage in the last two weeks just to give the offense – something different to, to look at, but, but that is a big thing, right? Like uh, I remember coach Dixon telling me years ago that he had a, a Steve Adams, right. A, a lottery pick. Yep. And he's like, uh, he goes, he, he, he can't score because we double big, big. So even in practice, he didn't even have a chance to, he didn't even have a chance to, to, to score. So it's the same thing. Like, well, like at least if we have a couple different ball screen coverages, our guys are used to doing that live um you know like like with the heads like we're telling you, you got to get that out of your hands quicker man you, there's two guys on the ball that's got to get out of your hands quicker you know um versus a switch where maybe you can play with it and then you know you have an advantage to, to get downhill so ho- hopefully we're making strides i think that's like the piece where right now like we're evaluating certain players new guys like where are they at uh with their decision making skills and how does that work into the team concept uh, and talk to me about post play, because, uh, again, I saw times where they threw it into the post. I mean, again, not traditional dip, deep seals, because that's really hard in the modern game, uh, catching a little bit off the block, teeing up, whatever. But then there were different options. There are certainly attack options, but then there were different flow options off of post entry. So talk to us a little bit more about the reactions after the ball goes in the post and what you like to emphasize. Yeah. So honestly, that's the first look, right? When the ball's reversed, we can throw it in, throw it in, um, you know, especially Thompson holding. So, but we also try to tell those post guys, it's a little bit of gray. If you're not posting, get out of there. So you're not messing up the stagger. So we, we've got to improve in that. Um, but when we do throw the ball in, we like to go cut. We call it, we like to go cut baseline. Yeah. Uh, ideal, ideally, sometimes you get the layup. Um, you got to be careful on the layup that you don't charge. But the reason I like baseline is 
you know, I want our big guys to be able to play with space. And, and when guys cut over the top, which does happen, I feel like they're leaving the help in there and you just, you're making the big guy un- uncomfortable. So ideally we want to go cut baseline. We want to dive our four man, you know, to the right on the rim, opposite side of the rim. And then we want all the other guards to fill, you know? Yeah. So if the ball comes out of the post, obviously you hope it's an attack and then a one more, but the big guy knows when it comes out, like he's supposed to either come set a get, we call a get a ball screen, or he can bring it on a, on a flip to, to keep it moving. But that's, um, you know, talked about some splits and all that. I, you know, you watch golden state, they're, do, they're playing a different game than everyone else. I, I don't feel like we would, we would do that well enough. I, I like the idea of, okay, the ball goes to Charles Thompson, go cut baseline, dive, fill. And he knows where guys are once again, when he's, when he, when he's coming out of those areas, if he's not comfortable going one-on-one, he knows where he has some absolutes and spacing. Yeah, it's great stuff. It was fun to watch. It's fun to talk about. And uh, we definitely have to use your talents here because again, a lot of coaches are in situations where they're program building, you know, they're not starting from the perfect situation, but they're turning it into a better situation. And that's really what you've done. You've turned it into a great situation. I know how excited you are about this year's team too, to take that next step. And that's a lot of fun, but a lot of hard work that goes into it. So maybe give us a few of the insights that at the beginning that helped you get the ship going in the right direction. Yeah. First thing, good players, right? We had, we, we I, I should I talk, have said beyond players. <laughs> the, uh, the no, so look at, I've, I've always felt like when you come in, we talked briefly is we've got to develop a routine in order to develop good habits. Right. And so like, you know, we try to practice at the same time every day. So I think that something the guys know, you know, we are practicing one to four, we watch, we lift, a lot of times before practice, we watch film before practice. The script of our practice will be the same the whole year from pre-practice to skill work to we call dry run, the transition to what's five and oh stuff to shell to live play. Now we have different drills within those segments. Like we have three different transition defensive drills we use, but we're going to usually, we're going to go right in that script. You know, I think so guys know what's coming. Um, each day, you know, we've, we've, we've really invested in snacks, nutrition. Um, we don't have a, you know, a definite training table. We have a training table. We take a swipe. We've put some fundraising money in there. We immediately have to practice. We have a prepackaged meal for guys, um, and eat it. So, so like all those type of stuff, like, uh, I, I think especially, you know, we have more resources than some high school teams, right? So, but what I would challenge is what, what are you doing to form good habits? And, you know, and not just, and we have pro time blocks where like, can, can our guys get in the gym whenever they want? They can, but let's, I don't want my guys in the gym at two in the morning. Right. Cause now they're not sleeping. And so we'll really try, Hey, look at pro times between nine and 11, who was in, send me what you got. How'd you do? You know what I mean? Like, it's how do we kind of create a, a positive peer pressure culture, uh, you know, to, to, to form some of those good habits. And I, and I think that's important. Like, look at, we all get jobs, right? Like I remember I got the job here. They're like, what kind of style do you want to play? And you know, what, what's everyone want you to say fast. We're going to press. I said, I hope we're going to play a winning style. <laughs> I said, uh, I, I, look, at, I don't know what we got, you know, so our talent's going to dictate our pace of play. I've always felt like you got to defend and rebound in order to have a fighting chance. Um, and, and, and I hope that 
we've at least built something where anyone that plays against us, we, we understand anyone can beat us, but that uh, people that have beaten us have said to the most part, holy smokes, like that was pretty close to a 40 minute just bloodbath. You know, that that's to me the big, right? You want to be consistent mm-hmm. and, and compete and your competitiveness. And, and then you got to have a little bit of good fortune. Of course. And uh, you referenced that uh, that aspect of it from the beginning, like just you talked about the consistency for your players and understanding what the expectations are and everything that goes with that. I'm curious then, like, are you keeping that philosophy as you move forward and as you get better and as you get more players that have bought into the whole thing? Because at the beginning, your players didn't know you or what you wanted. But now that they do and you have players, as you've already referenced, that mentor other players and different things. Are you a little more flexible with that or are you keeping it still consistent with uh, the schedule? So, no, we're consistent with the schedule, but I'm much more flexible in giving responsibility to staff and, and our players. Uh, you know, we, we had had after my first year, I think we came in the top three, like six out of the last, next eight years. You know, so it was OK. We built something. We're in the mix. And then the pandemic hit mm. and. That was the worst year I've ever had in coaching. Um, and that includes, you know, losing 31 games. We had 20 practices the whole year. Half our games we played in 15 days. So we had no habits, you know. And my old AD was a great guy. He said, what's the – what do you think the issue is? I'm like, we've got no habits. We don't practice. So I couldn't have been prouder of our entire group in getting the – we went from four wins to 25, getting the train – back on the tracks but what it also did for me was like some people say oh they they won his second year because they had Benjamin well we didn't have Benjamin last year so it, it just reaffirmed to me that if we 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 can kind of stick to the script on some things we're going to be in a position to have some success how much success once again I, you know like we had a great year Chris and Charles Thompson was playing the best for us and he sprained his ankle in the conference quarterfinal and he tried to fight through it and you know all this stuff comes down like there's you know sometimes as coaches or fans or people forget the other team they got good players and good coaches too they're trying they're trying to win like someone asked me we got beat by Delaware a tough game in the semis what happened I said what do you mean what happened like we just got beat we beat got beat by a good team that was well coached and prepared It, it sometimes it happens you know well, I, I, I love that part of it and creating, you know, this understanding that, you know, it's humans playing humans, so things can happen. But the other thing I loved is when you talk about like, okay, they can ask you in the press conference or they can ask you in the interview what the style of play is. And you're right, like a winning style, like I, I can tell you what I would like to do, but you can't necessarily do that right away, can you? No, no, I think you can get guys to guard, you know, that's effort and that's concentration. And then for us, like, how do we lift them? How do we feed them? How do we get them moving? Right. Make them. We tell all the guys, they got to be and tough. A couple of them ain't tough, but we're going to make them think they're tough. That that's on us. But so that's, that side of the ball. How are you going to play an offense? I think is you got, you got to have some flexibility based on your, based on what you have. It's, it's a little bit like in recruiting. I'm like, we talk about some stuff we want, but you know, uh, I want talent. I want toughness. And then I want, I want character. That's really what I want. Like the rest of it, we're trying to, you know, I don't, it, it's not like, uh, and I don't know if he does, but maybe Kentucky or Duke can say, Hey, we're going to, you know, I, I don't know sometimes if we can just be, be that narrow. Mm-hmm. 
Coach, when I did a deep dive, I got to say, I was super impressed with what you've done there. I mean, just just incredible stuff. And I imagine people are really happy and supportive of what you've done. But on the other side, I know college coaching and I know the way that goes. And there's some people that said, well, what's next? Like, why haven't we done this yet? And uh, that's a part of your job, isn't it? Managing that. Absolutely. One, it's what we signed up for. Right. Um, And no one wants us to kick the door in and then have some success in the big dance more than me, because no one has more to gain <laughs> than, than me. If that, if that happens, um, I've always felt like you have to be consistent in order to have that opportunity. You can't just say, man, I hope I play well for three days. So hopefully we've at least had a model of consistency. You know, I, I when I was at Pitt, it was only for one year. Um, I was surprised that people would I don't know, complains that were, but like Jamie Dixon, he hadn't been to a final four. And, but they were the model of consistency. Not a lot of people know this. When he left Pitt at Big East conference games, he was the winningest coach in Big East history. So when you think about Calhoun, Bayheim, Thompson, like that's, you know, that's unbelievable. Now you want both, right? You want to be really consistent and then cut the nets down. That's, so that, that's, that's the goal. Um, that's what keeps you up at night. Uh, that's the job we were assigned to do. So that's, that's what we got to figure out how to do. Well, and you're doing it. And uh, it's great fun to dive deep into the flow game and some of the different things that have helped lead to your success there, Coach. I cannot thank you enough for sharing the game with us. This has been awesome. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Basketball Podcast. Learn more from some of the best coaches in the world at ImmersionVideos.com. At ImmersionVideos.com, our unwavering commitment to you is to offer the tools necessary for you to be an outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. If you're a better coach now than you were yesterday, We've done our job, and so have you. The goal is to focus on authentic sharing of resources you can use to help your players and teams improve. Drills, tactics, techniques, philosophies, practice design, and so much more will be shared from numerous coaches, including Nate Oates, Doug Novak, Aaron Fern, Dave Smart, and so many more to come. Go to ImmersionVideos.com now to check out all the products and follow at ImmersionVideos on Twitter to keep up to date. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.